Welcome to the Westside Gathering Podcast, and thanks for making the time to learn and grow with us. Here, you'll find teaching from our live Sunday gatherings. After the message, we'll say a little more about our church and how you can connect. But for now, let's jump right in. Uh, Let's jump into the scriptures. And uh, we've been reading through Matthew 6 quite a bit these days, the last three weeks in this series we're calling Unstrapped. And I just want to start by reading um, a few few of the verses that we've been reading the last few weeks and adding two that we haven't. And so if you've got your Bibles, Matthew 6, verse 19 to 24, and then we will uh, we'll jump in. So I want to just start by reading it to set the tone for us this morning. Here's Jesus' teaching. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And we skipped these next two verses for the last two weeks. We're going to read them today. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you, If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth at the same time. And we've read the, the rest of the passage as well the last few weeks, but I'm going to just leave it there for this morning and encourage you, if you're just joining us today, to go back home today and read uh, up until ch- verse 34, because it really is the backdrop of what we've been learning this month. But let me pray uh, before we continue. God, we thank you that we can gather like this. We thank you that we can worship, that we can retell the gospel story to one another in our songs and in scripture and in prayers. We thank you that we can celebrate you as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit today. And um, Lord, as we gather here, we think of churches around the world that are gathering, that you would unite people's hearts around you, Lord, as Father, around your Son, our Redeemer, around your Spirit our advocate and counselor and helper. God, we think of our young adults um, who are up at Frontier Lodge with another 80 or so young adults from different regions, and we pray, God, as they gather there this morning that your Holy Spirit would pour out on them, that they would grow in love for you and love for others, and that the beautiful nature of the gospel would have a fresh call in their lives today. In your name we pray, amen. Have you ever purchased something that has kept its value forever? Or, let me ask you this. How often do you purchase something that loses its value? (laughs) Ton ton of stuff. We used to buy cars that lost their value. Apparently, you know, when if you bought a car three years ago, you could sell it for the same price today or more. Uh, It's pretty crazy. That's kind of an oddity in that. But for normal things, you buy something... And it normally loses its value, right? It's called depreciation. In 1998, uh, the year we got married, my wife and I, uh, my, for ni- 18 months before our engagement, my wife was working full-time and she lived at home. So she got to save a, a big portion of that money. And we spent, at the time, don't judge me, we spent $5,000 on our bedroom set. There's a maple bedroom set made in Canada, bought on St. Hubert Street here in Montreal, 
we loved it. It was a, it was a sleigh bed. It, 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 it fit our needs at the time. But 24 years later, we've been living in the house for 17 years, and our bedroom now is actually smaller than it was in our first apartment in LaSalle, believe it or not. And so we've squeezed this, small, this bedroom into this, uh, this bedroom set into this smaller room, and the sleigh bed is less appealing and less convenient, and uh, our need for storage is, 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 is a little bit more than it was then. And, and then you're like, you look at, you, you know, then we're like, well, let's get rid of this. And you look at Ikea furniture, it sells online. It, it, it practically sells for like 50 to 70% of the cost. I have no idea why. So I'm, we're going to put this online. We're like, you know what? Someone's going to love this maple set. It's built in Canada. We bought it on St. Hubert Street. It was like a store that has like just Montreal vibes. We listed it for $2,000. Nobody bit. We listed it for $1,500. Nobody called. We, li- we, we dropped it to $1,000. We got one inquiry. We were with nothing else. And then someone bought the dressers and the bed and left us with the two humongous pieces. How do you sell those two humongous pieces? And we sold those two beautiful pieces for $200 each. (laughs) And so we, 10% of the value um, we got, which was better than my mom who sold her dining room set for nothing, actually. Like this was like back in the day when people spent a lot of money on dining room sets, and, and actually her set, she wanted to buy another piece 10 years later, and just that one piece was in the thousands of dollars, and then she, she had to give it away. And uh, that, that's sometimes the reality. Not everything we buy keeps its value. Isn't that true? Not everything we buy keeps its value. And this, the reverse is also true, or maybe some, a similar truth. The purchase price isn't always equal to the value, Right? The purchase price of something isn't always equal to the value. We've been talking about money the last few weeks, and we started off talking about getting unstrapped by creating margin in our budgets and our finances. We talked last week about prioritizing God's mission and God's kingdom to be givers first and let that be the organizing principle for the rest of our budgets so we will invite God's wisdom and embrace his his generosity and provision for us. And today I want to talk about, as we end this today, uh, maybe a topic that, that sometimes we shy away from as churches when we talk about money, and it's this idea that we can get unstrapped for a meaningful life. In other words, we can actually resource meaning in our lives. Now, that's going to take wisdom and discernment and some kind of management because we only have so much to use. Andy Stanley speaks for money when he says this, kind of on behalf of money, he says this, he's, money is saying, I can add meaning to your life, but I'm not the meaning of life. I can add meaning to your life, but I'm not the meaning of life. I want to tweak that a little bit as we go on. So before we, we get unstrapped for meaning, I want to talk about the source of meaning. And one of the wisest people in the Bible, self-described wisdom, but also someone who asked uh, God for wisdom was one of Israel's kings. His name was Solomon. He became uh, wealthy, famous, sought after. Some of that went to his head and he made mistakes. And he writes these words in one of the books in the Old Testament, part of the wisdom literature, just after the Proverbs, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 8, in the middle of his conversation, he writes this. He says, I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings 
and of the provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and delights of the flesh and many concubines. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. My heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil, the energy I had spent in doing it, and again, all was vanity and a chasing after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Imagine coming to that conclusion. Eh? I wonder what Elon Musk is going to feel once the Twitter deal is done. I don't know. But imagine coming to that conclusion. Solomon's given immense wisdom. It was his desire to have this wisdom. He asks God for it. And yet he didn't always apply it well in all of his pursuits. And he too discovered that money or material possessions or grand accumulation of things became meaningless. It didn't, it didn't give him what he wanted. It didn't fill the desires he truly wanted. It didn't, it didn't give him the fullness of satisfaction that he thought it would have. And I say it this way. I mean, back then, of course, it was, there, was not a, there was money, but not the kind of simple exchange we have today. So we'll talk about it this way. Money on its own is not the source of meaning. Material possessions on their own are not the source of meaning. And I think we've got to be careful because there's even Christians who Christianize the pursuit of wealth. They, they kind of sanitize it. And, and wealth is not bad, but there's some Christians who Christianize the pursuit of wealth as if it's the most logical, successful path out there. And that it's God's duty to give you wealth or bless you in that way when you follow him. Sometimes Christians talk about beyond making wealth just possible, which is a possibility for many of us, for many people in our society. But often some Christians make turn it into a promise. And there's some caution there. And why I say this is because whether you're a Christian or not, at the end of one's life, is anybody sitting there on their deathbed choosing cash over children? Right? If they had children. Is there anyone in their life saying, man, these couple of cars I drove were awesome versus the kind of character they're remembered by? What would, what would be more valuable at someone's deathbed? All the gold or wealth that someone accumulated versus the experience and memories they could share on their deathbed with those that they love? What, what, what would you say is more valuable at the end of a life? I think that's partly what Solomon was maybe thinking as he was gaining all this stuff. So when we talk about finances... I want to say this, money, and it's on the screen, is not the source of a meaningful life, but money can support a meaningful life. Money is not the source of a meaningful life, but it can support the, a meaningful life. Jesus says in Matthew 6, he says, there's more to life than clothes and food and drink and just getting the things you need. So here's my question as we wrap up today. What do you want your life to be about? 
What do you want your life to be about? Maybe you want to like think forward to the end of your life. Maybe you want to think in the moment, say, what if my life ended right now? What would I, what would I cherish? What, are, what would be more important to me? What do you want your life to be about? Well, Solomon discovered the source of meaning is not getting all this stuff. So I want to move to talk about signs of meaning, signs of a meaningful life. And it's rooted in Matthew 6 because Jesus invites us to think about a different vision than just our own cultural vision, and it's the vision of God's kingdom. That's been the underlining big idea in this series about money because it's really about God's kingdom. Jesus cautions us in Matthew 6 to be careful how much we strive for these things. Literally off the text, it's these things that we strive for. And Jesus cautions us to be careful how much we strive for these things. He says, people who don't know that they have a loving, caring, providing Heavenly Father strive for these things with extra amount of energy and effort, only realize that they don't really give what you hoped they would give. Or to strive for these things without dependence on God's care and provision or within the posture of God's kingdom. That's why last week, in the middle of this three weeks, we said, if we prioritize generosity, if we prioritize giving first, it gives us a posture for the rest of our budget. And so there's this shift that takes place. And this is on the screen. It's Matthew 6, verse 34 and 35, where Jesus says those words. You know, I think, I think they're up there. Yeah. For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things, and indeed your Heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. It's the difference between striving for these things or striving for God's kingdom. God's kingdom is about his rule, his realm, right? And I love to think about God's kingdom as his vision for you and his vision for me and his vision for the world. When, when God's kingdom is fully fulfilled one day and the rule of Christ is fully in action, God will make all things right and his kingdom vision will come alive in all of its fullness. When you and I pray the Lord's Prayer, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're praying for God's life, for God's vision, for God's dream, for God's design to take place in our lives as it is in God's mind and in God's heart. So true meaning, if you're searching for meaning, if I'm searching for meaning, true meaning has its shape and signs in God's kingdom. Not in my kingdom. In God's kingdom, not in Canada's or America's kingdom. In God's kingdom, not in Europe or Russia's or Britain's or Ukraine's or China's kingdom. We can't... This is the reality. True meaning is shaped by God's kingdom. Now, here's something that I want us to consider, and this is why we don't often talk about this, I think, in churches. We can't limit striving for God's kingdom to mission and pro proclaiming the gospel. Somebody might say, you know, you could just preach the gospel, just preach the gospel, just preach the gospel. And that's really great. That's important. That's part of our heartbeat. That's why mission is valuable. Why we talked about it last week as fueling mission. But God's kingdom is not just limited to proclaiming the gospel. It's not just limited to God's mission. Consider a few obvious kingdom signs if we think about God's kingdom. The New Testament, Paul's writing especially talks about reconciliation 
broken things coming together, broken people being restored, broken relationships coming together, those who would be on the opposite ends of things, slave and free, male and female, rich and poor, would come together at one, being one in the cross or at the cross of Christ. Reconciliation is a beautiful sign of God's kingdom. Restoration is a beautiful sign of God's kingdom. Justice is a sign of God's kingdom. Peace is a sign of God's kingdom. Contentment, when you see contentment, contentment is a sign of God's kingdom. Kingdom people following Jesus should have more contentment than less contentment than the world. Joy is a sign of God's kingdom. When Jesus shared his mission statement in Luke 4... And he goes into the temple and he pulls Isaiah's scroll and he reads the scroll and he reads out of Isaiah and he says that the oppressed will be, uh, will, be, will be freed, the prisoner will be freed, the blind will be given sight, the hungry will be fed. And he's reading this proclamation from the prophet Isaiah and he's saying this will be fulfilled in your hearing. And yes, part of that is a spiritual restoration, a spiritual uh, you know, sight, a spiritual hunger being fed. But It wasn't just that. Jesus wants us to see that God's kingdom is about these beautiful, wonderful things. And if it doesn't all happen today in our day, we know that the fullness of God's kingdom will one day take place and show that these things will be reality. So it wasn't just relief or charity, but Jesus was talking about freedom and sight and satisfaction. And I think that those things are a witness for God's kingdom in our communities and on our street, on your street. What's the signs of God's kingdom to the world around us when we walk around, when we interact with neighbors, when we're sitting with friends, when we're having discussions at work, when we're with family or work colleagues or in our neighborhood or in society? Your life, my life, can reflect the signs of God's kingdom, God's will. So here's my thought as we think about money. If this is true, why don't we resource these things? If this is true, if these things are valuable, if these things are signs of God's kingdom, and I have at my disposal an amount of money or income, why would I not fuel these things if these things are true meaning in life? Why, would I, why do I get caught up? And I say, why do I get caught up in fueling other things sometimes instead of these things that truly bring meaning? Like I said before, money is not the source of a meaningful life, but money can support a meaningful life. See, we don't just get unstrapped to live with margin. That was two weeks ago. There's, that's a lot of wisdom there to live with, with margin. So we don't feel strapped. We don't feel worried. We don't feel pressed. Uh, peace increases when, when, when margin increases when margin decreases worry increases we don't want that and jesus i believe wants to lead us towards thinking about that in that way so we can live in in a way that we don't strive after so many things that we're just so strapped because we're spending 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 but we don't just unstrap ourselves for margin we unstrap ourselves for life part of that is mission we talked about that last week but part of that is that we nurture a life of meaning and purpose And you know where we get that vision for meaning and purpose? God's kingdom. We see it in the kingdom of God. And I think there's at least kind of three big categories out of God's kingdom vision. And here's the first one. We have the opportunity to fuel, to resource a life of flourishing or that idea of flourishing. The kingdom of God is a life of flourishing. 
Don't get me wrong. That's not a life of, you know, wealth and fame. Flourishing is very different than wealth and fame. At the end of one's life, one might say, I've had a flourishing life. They might not say they were rich. It's very different. Flourishing encompasses... In, in our time period, maybe physical health, emotional health, enjoying creation, enjoying people, enjoying humanity, experiences that help you come alive. And here's the beautiful thing. When, when we, even when we serve the world around us, when we serve organizations, when we serve our neighbors, when we serve our fam- families, what do we do? Don't we long for them to flourish? When we want to help our kids um, grow in a certain way, don't we long for them to flourish in healthy ways? So we can actually move our treasure to place and purpose that reflects flourishing. And just like simple analogy like food, you can choose good food or bad food. You can choose food that's going to be healthy for you or food that's not going to be healthy for you. You can choose food that gives you energy or food that doesn't give you energy. You can choose flourishing (laughs) or like a really unhealthy lifestyle, right? You can choose to stay indoors all the time, or you can choose to take walks and enjoy fresh air. Which one is flourishing? You can choose a vacation that keeps you busier, or you can choose a vacation that helps you rest. Which one's flourishing? Now, everybody's different. Some people like to be on the move on vacation. Some people like to sit and do nothing. But there's a medium in between. I get it. Totally. There's two kinds of vacationers in the room for sure. You can spend your money... Uh, on Netflix, and, one, and, and that's, I'm not saying you can't, but like, you've got to ask yourself, is, is, is the full streaming you know, service packages out there something that flourish us? Is that flourishing, or is there other ways we can use our, our resources? So I, I believe you have the opportunity to fuel flourishing in your life. The, the second one that I think comes out of God's kingdom is friendship and family. God's kingdom is communal. God's kingdom is communal. We pray to our heavenly Father. We pray that God would provide our needs. We pray that God would, his kingdom and will would happen in our lives, in our world. Friendship and family is part of God's kingdom. And the best of lives is often seen in relationships. People that are struggling with relationships or have relational conflicts or have major issues going on in some relationships usually feel more stress. They don't feel like they're having their best life. But when relationships are healthy and relationships are reconciled and relationships are flourishing, we say, that feels good. God's kingdom is about good relationships, healthy relationships, loving relationships. That encompasses your friends. That encompasses your neighbors. That encompasses your family. At home, inside your unit, household unit, and beyond. In extended family. It talks, it, that means your spiritual community, the church, the, the, the community that we're a part of. It, it means your connection to our city, connection to the place you live in. And here's, this is beautiful. You can choose to fuel friendships and family relationships or you can choose to use your money elsewhere and not have funds to fuel those things. You can spend money on solo activities, or you can spend your money on areas that flourish your relationships. I remember earlier, like early on in my marriage, when uh, you know, we had to figure out that, oh, okay, our budget is for both of us. <laughs> our budget is for all of us. And then I came off 
you know, certain things that I wanted, like musically speaking for things that I was doing. And I remember having, uh, I remember I, I hit some, some walls there. I had some course corrections because I realized, yeah, this is good. This is not bad. But I'm also not just doing life for me anymore. It's for both of us and then eventually for a family. But it's not just about a marriage or, or family. It's about friends and, and relationships, so you have a choice to fuel relationships with having some people over for your house for snacks uh, or something like that, or you can, or or some or or a family household that spends all their money on just let's say for themselves and don't ever spend money on including others. You might be losing out. You can resource that. You can actually budget for community in your in your budget. The last thing is this formation. This is part of God's kingdom. God wants you to grow. God wants you to be fruitful. God wants you to be formed in his kingdom, but also in his kingdom character. And that's spiritual disciplines, it's courses, it's sitting with a wise friend. You have the choice to, to, to purchase a book that helps you grow. You have the, uh, the choice to join a group. Um, maybe that, that involves some kind of monetary thing, who knows, to help you grow. Formation is a beautiful reflection of God's kingdom. One of the ways for that is for mentors in your life. I realized long ago that I needed mentors in my life. But you know what I realized about the people that I wanted, that I was hoping for them to mentor me? I realized they were busy. I realized that they were limited with their time. I realized that they weren't walking around thinking, um, I'm going to take Dave Manifold out to lunch. That wasn't, their, it wasn't on their radar. So I thought, well, you know, how can I get an hour with this person? Well, I'll take him out for coffee. How can I get an hour and a half with this person? I'll take them up for lunch. And I realized that in that moment, I could invest in formation by investing in a mentor. Why? So I could be formed in the kind of life that God was calling me to. And I realized that I could not do that alone. I needed mentors in my life. Mentors provide wisdom and direction and correction and encouragement. And you have the choice to invest in that. When someone says, if someone spends a whole bunch of money here, but sends, says, I can never find anybody to, to give me some wisdom or pour into me. Well, take a little bit of this stuff that you spend here and take someone you want to learn from out for lunch. You have the choice to do that if it's within your means. If it's not within your means, learn how to barter. Hey, I'll do this for you if you hang out with me for an hour. There's ways to get that done. There's ways to invest. This is one of, the, one of the side benefits of formation. And it's this. I think I, I might have put this on the screen, but if not, just listen. Money problems are rooted in character problems. And most people don't have a problem with money. They have a problem with themselves. See, most money problems are rooted in character problems. Most people don't have a, an issue with the actual money. It's our characters that form how we use that money. And when we're formed in the right way, that's a side benefit. We find wisdom in that way. Let me wrap it around. And talked about flourishing, right? Friendships and family and formation. But let me just say flourishing one more time because it's not just your flourishing. That God's kingdom is about our flourishing. God's kingdom is about people around us that flourish. God's kingdom is about people in our radar that flourish, people in our neighborhood that flourish, people in our city that flourish. So remember that a meaningful life is not just about you or me. 
a meaningful life is never wrapped up in selfishness or individualism. So all the, most of the ads that come your way on, on phones, screens, TV, usually feed a selfish individualistic kind of growth. You could do this. You could have this. You can experience this. You can be secure in this way. Often what that lacks, that's only for your good, but it often lacks the good of others. And so we buy into that, and we only feed the things that flourish us. But when we're truly influenced by God's kingdom, we're thinking about other people's flourishing, others people, other people's advancement, other people's growth, other people's encouragement. You will discover meaning not only as you flourish, but as you help others flourish. And I, I see this as part of God's kingdom. Part of God's kingdom is that there's a goodness that the world experiences because of God's kingdom. Imagine the early church when there was the famines and the wars and the plagues just huddled in a corner and said, okay, you help Joe, you help Sarah, you help Frank, we're good together. <laughs> and that's all they did. Who, they would have flourished. They would have been okay. But they didn't do that. They thought of the flourishing of the society around them so much that the Roman emperor said, what's up with these people that call themselves followers of Jesus or the way? They, like they're feeding our poor. They're serving our hungry. Why are they doing that? Because they, they know that the life of God's kingdom, a life of meaning and purpose, isn't only in flourishing yourself. It's so other people flourish. Why are they saving the kids that are left off to the side? Why are they feeding those people who have no needs? Why are they, why are they grieving with this family and, and burying this person in dignity? Why are they doing that? Because they believed in the flourishing of others as well. And we have an opportunity with some of our resources to, to, to portion some of them to the flourishing of others. So let me ask you this question. You know, we just walked through these, and we could have dissected it into different categories. But is there, any, is there anyone here, is there anyone in this room, or any friend that you have, if you just chat with a friend after church today and you call them, is there anybody who wouldn't want to die knowing that their life reflected these things? Is there anybody that wouldn't want to die knowing that their life reflected a commitment to flourishing them and others, a commitment to friends and family and others and a commitment to formation. Who would not want to come to the end of their life knowing that they fueled these things? Is it, don't, don't admit it if it's not you, but we don't want to put anybody on the spot. No, but think about it. Isn't that true? And, and I think this is part of Jesus' invitation to store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Because... Heaven is not, we don't, we don't send our money to heaven. No one, there's no e-transfer, you know, heaven at gmail.com. It doesn't exist. You can't put it on your banking app or anything like that. We store up for ourselves treasures in heaven when we store up, when we fuel things that reflect God's kingdom. That's how we store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. It's not a security blanket. It's not a deposit for the future. It's how are, are we fueling things that reflect a meaningful life, meaningful purpose that are shaped by God's kingdom. And I think part of Jesus' invitation to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven, yes, it includes what we talked about last week, resourcing the local church and God's mission. But I believe it's broader than that because heaven, God's will, God's kingdom, 
is also about these things for you and for others. And you know what? This is a a little side tip. This is a great way to talk about faith. When people see that you're passionate about these things, why are you passionate about these things? Oh, my faith forms me in this way. What do you mean? Your faith forms you to think about flourishing and friendship and family and formation? And yeah, Jesus cares about these things. It's part of the kingdom he talks about. It's part of the society, the, 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 the people, the, the future that he talks about in the scriptures. Do you want to know about it? I can tell you more about Jesus who, who's the source of these things. So it's a wonderful way to introduce people to faith or a starting conversation. But here, here's how I want to um, come to a close in this thing. See, remember, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. You have a choice. You can send your money You can give your money a purpose and a place. Money can fuel the meaningful reflections of God's kingdom. Money can fuel that thing. Now, we talked about giving and savings. They're meaningful. They're priority in your budget. But then we must figure out the rest. And you have, most people have the opportunity to discern what to do with the rest of the 70 or 80%. You know, I know what you're you're thinking off the bat. Dave, if you knew how much money I have... (laughs) You knew that this is really hard for me. Or if you know, you know, I don't, I'm not super wealthy. I don't make more than $100,000 a year. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not rich. I'm not a millionaire, whatever. And you know what? This is true. We all, and here's the reality. We all have limited resources. We all have limited resources. Unlike the government, we cannot print money. <laughs> we cannot just print it out and say we've got more of it. I can't. If you know how to do that, let me know. That would be amazing. But then we're going to be worse contributors to inflation, right? So we won't go there, and, and this is not an eco- economics class. But we all have so much money. We all have limited resources. So you know what that means for you and me as we think about fueling a meaningful life? It means that we have to manage the tension of living within this means to fuel the things that are, are meaningful and purposeful, shaped by God's kingdom, to manage the tension of fueling a meaningful life. And it is a tension. It's always going to be a tension. Unless you have a limited supply, it's, you're always going to have a point of tension. So you have to choose what and when and where and how and what's more important in this season and what am I saving for instead of spending now and what does my life need now and how do I contribute to flourishing and, and community and friendships and all this stuff. And here's the thing. It's a tension to manage. It's not a problem to fix. See, an easy problem would be, great, uh, I'm going to just get another $10,000 and I'm going to fix the problem. But I can't get the $10,000, so what am I doing? I have to manage the tension. I have to figure out, when can I do this? How can I do this? Is this a reasonable goal? Should I right-size my goal and bring it lower? Is there any element of this part of God's purpose for me that I can fuel in small increments? That's why it's managing the tension, and it's not a problem to fix. If you have $500 or $1,000 of disposable income at the end of a month after you've given and saved and you have concrete expenses like rent, food, and utilities, then you're called by God's wisdom to manage the tension of where that treasure goes. Of where that treasure goes. You might say, I don't don't have money for, for a book. I don't have money for an experience. I don't have money for hospitality. I don't have money for a trip to Vermont to just get away for a couple of days. Well, what if some of that time, what if some of that money, and I know everybody's situation is different, 
is actually there or could have been there, but you already spent it on something else. Is that possible? You know, the four, I think the four top spenders are in the four top ways we spend our money. I didn't read this. I didn't find it. On, I'm just like thinking of it off the bat. I think this is true. You tell me if I'm wrong. I think the four top ways that Canadians spend most of their money, disposable income is on cars, phones, streaming, and eating out. Do we need like a, should we do a survey to check this out if this is true or not? Who thinks that this is true? I, I think roughly it's true. Cars, phone, streaming, and eating out. And when, when, I would, um, when I spend time with premarital couples, couples who are getting married and we prep for their marriage and help them walk through stuff, we often do an, an evening on money and budgeting. And I often tell them, like, listen, you're going to see another couple and this other couple's going to, you've gone, like, to Cuba and you spent $3,000 and this other couple's going to judge you because they're going to look at you and say, well, wow, they went to Cuba. They must have a lot of money. But you're, you're going to do the reverse. Because you're going to look at that couple, and you're going to see that, I don't know, every week they go to a movie and, and dinner, and then they go out another week of the night. You're like, ah, that's not fair. Why do they, like, they get to go out? What about me? And you realize that eating out once a week is about $3,000. And you're like, oh, okay, so I can choose. Where am I, what am I going to value? Where am I going to put my funds? What, what do I think is important? Or you look at someone's, someone, you know, is driving a great car and they're like, oh man, I wish I could do what they do. And they're looking at you and saying, I wish I could drive what they drive. But they're like, oh, oh, okay. It's all the same amount of money. We've just chosen where to put it. This person wanted the extra features on the car and is willing to spend 200 bucks more on their lease. And this person says, you know what? I, I really want to fuel this important part of my life. So it's all like that. I remember hearing a story about a young guy who just started working and uh, what he specifically needed for his, his job to really grow in his career was a suit. But he felt so bad because he, he thought, you know what, I, I can't drive up to this client with, this, with the car I have. It's so horrible. It's like a junk box. So he had, to, he had to manage the tension. And this is what he did. He kept the junk box. He parked it two blocks away. He bought a good suit, and he met the clients. And he did that for a couple of years because he realized, they're never going to see my car. I'm not going to spend the money on a car. I'm going to just buy a decent suit that I feel comfortable walking into the office with. And that's what he did. Back to my bedroom reno. <laughs> Is, so 23 years up until last year, we slept on the same mattress. And I know you're wondering, man, your back must be amazing. And uh, it's not. So we, we had to make a choice. Our, our mattress was horrible. It was so bad. And, but we had this old, uh, this, this, uh, our bedroom set from 24 years ago. Yes, we've been married for over 24 years, my wife and I. Woohoo! And uh, that bedroom set is gone, but we have a good mattress. So we had to choose. We're like, what do we need right now? In how long a period of time with our budget and our disposable income can we redecorate our bedroom? So if you came into our bedroom back in the fall, you would have seen a brand new, very healthy, comfortable mattress on the floor. There was no bed frame, nothing, because we're like, that was the most important thing right now. That was more important than, than the new wardrobe. So that stayed on the floor. We ordered uh, um, you know, a, a, a storage kind of frame from Ikea, which only like, wasn't there. It took four months, six months, whatever. We slept on the floor for six months. When we got the frame, 
we put the frame together, we painted just the back wall and decorated. So if you walk in our bedroom and you look at nothing else, you just look straight, you're like, well, this is that's a, that's a nice decor. I love the color and the, the frame. But if you look around, you're like, what happened to the rest of the bedroom? It looks, doesn't look great. And so, so we're waiting. We're like going in stages because in managing the tension, we're like, what's healthy? Mattress is healthy. For a while, I can stack my clothes in some boxes and then we got to bed and we did it. And then, ironically, we spent $140 on a used Ikea dresser for now. Just to, and I'm like, $140? Bucks. I sold my other one for two. What am I doing? Like, anyways, forget about it. But, but we just had to manage the tension. What was most important right now in the moment? And if we go ahead full steam on a full bedroom reno today, just close our eyes and say, do this, do this, buy this, buy this well, we're not going to be able to have funds for other stuff that's important in our life. And then we're going to have to deplete our savings or our givings. Or we're going to, so we're like, no, let's just kind of slow this up and do this. So it wasn't a problem to fix because we didn't have an infinite amount of resources. It was attention to manage, right? That's how that works. So you get to choose you get to choose between nurturing the kind of life you want. Now, when I say you want, that sounds so self-help book life. But the kind of life you want that is shaped by God's kingdom. The kind of life that you long for that is shaped by the flourishing, the values of flourishing, the values of friendship and family, the value of formation. You get to choose that. and You get to nurture that. Or... You can take the resources and spend it on a whole bunch of stuff and never fuel those things. And, and for us, it's all of a different. Some of, all of us have different, different incomes. For some of you, it's going to take longer than others, like our bedroom set. You know what? It takes us 12 months, 18 months, whatever. For some of you, you can do it in an instant. That's okay. No one's judging. That's great. It's all different. But you have the choice. I'm going to invite the band to come up. And I want to just encourage you with these last few words from Jesus. We all need wisdom for this. You need wisdom for this. This is why I'm so convinced that when we prioritize God's kingdom in our budgets, we open up a, a tap to God's wisdom that is normally not available to us. And so the words we skipped for a few weeks, verses 22 to 23... The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you, is darkness, how great is that darkness? John Wayne and I had a chat last week. He's like, Dave, I noticed you left out those two verses for two weeks. And, and I, he goes, I understand. They don't really talk about money as much. And I said, you know, I, I know people's attention. You know, sometimes it's like, how long are we reading? Are we catching it? Let's get to the, the meat and bones of this. And, and he said, and it was interesting. We had a great conversation because we, we discovered that most people will quote these verses for things like morality or immorality or, you know, how to, how to make wise choices and those things. But Jesus, he includes this right in the middle of talking about money. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. 
And I think, I think that, yes, we need Jesus' words to steer clear of any life decisions that are destructive and damaging. But Jesus here includes this right in the middle of talking about our income, our resources. We desperately need his wisdom. We need our eyes, which includes our mind and our heart, to be, to be clear, to be free, to be cleansed by, by the work of Christ on the cross, by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the love of God our Father. We need our minds to be cleared. The eyes is kind of the, 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 the portal to how we think and how we discern and how we, how we make decisions and, and how we weigh things and how we manage the tension even in our budgets, right? And so Jesus is saying, if your eyes are healthy, if, if, if you are allowing Christ to transform your vision and your insight and your thinking, well, the rest of your life will reflect that health. And here, in the middle of these kind of decisions, I know it's just, you know, we're not talking about saving the world. We're not talking about disarming nuclear weapons. We're not talking about all the big stuff. We're just saying right now, like my weekly paycheck, how can I fuel these, these things that are part of a meaningful life that are shaped by God's kingdom? And I believe that if we can lean on God's wisdom and he can give us healthy eyes, you and I will be able to manage those tensions way better than on our own. Amen? Isn't that true? God longs for that for you. So I ask you that question one more time. What do you want your life to be about? What do you want your life to be about? All of God's kingdom vision can refine your vision and my vision. Then we can manage the tension of our finances that reflect that life. And then we can trust God to give us the patience. Some seasons take patience. Some seasons take peace. Some seasons mean contentment to wait where it's not possible or not possible in that season, we trust him, but we, we don't ignore the possibilities. We say, how can we lean into this? How can we manage the tension? And that leads us back to rooting ourselves in his loving care and his provision. I want to pray with you. And uh, if you need prayer today, as our worship team leads us in this last song, there's going to be a prayer team on the side ready to pray for you. Don't be shy to, be, to even ask a simple question like, my budget feels strapped. I need God's wisdom. That's not a bad prayer. Um, maybe one of the prayers is, Lord, I, I just, I need you to, to, to refine my vision. I need you to refine my vision so I can see what you long my life to be about in healthy ways. Do you believe God wants the best life for you? Not according to the world, but according to him? Then trust him. Trust his wisdom. Trust his direction. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can rest in your loving care and provision. We thank you that even here in these words of Jesus, we find a call to wisdom. We all need healthy eyes. We all need healthy vision. We all need a clarity, God, in our vision, in our insight, in our reflection. Because we want the light of the gospel and the light of your kingdom to be what we see and, what, and how we decide moving forward. Lord, I just pray for everyone here who's managing tensions in different ways with their finances or their resources. Some might feel really, really stuck these days. And I pray for your grace, for your provision. I pray for your wisdom to help them in this moment. I pray that if we as a church can be a support in tangible, practical ways, Lord, you show us how and where and how we can just step into that. 
But Lord, some are just managing the tensions of how they're deciding to spend their money. And I pray, Lord, that even this we would surrender to your feet. Even this we would lay before you and say, God, lead us. God, guide us. God, give us wisdom. We believe, Lord, that you long for flourishing. You long for healthy friendships and families. You long for us to grow and be formed. And you long for that flourishing and all those things, not just to benefit us. You know, Lord, you've shown us over and over again that the best lives are not just lived for me personally, but for the sake of others as well. So, Lord, we surrender our budgets. We surrender our resources. We surrender our incomes. We surrender our weekly or bi-weekly paychecks. We surrender all of our wealth. We just give it, surrender it to you, Lord, and say, God, give us the wisdom to steward this for your glory, for your kingdom, and for a life of meaning and purpose that matters. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks for listening. We hope this message helps guide you on your spiritual journey of discovering the life and message of Jesus. We update this podcast weekly, so why not hit subscribe and journey with us? Who are we? Westside Gathering is a local church in the West Island of Montreal. We're a simple community of faith where we want you to feel welcome, even if you're not into church or religion. We meet every Sunday, but you can also find smaller groups, environments, and resources for all ages between Sundays. Find out more at westsidegathering.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Vimeo. We'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, ask for help, or let us know how we can pray for you. If you'd like to contribute financially, just go to westsidegathering.com forward slash giving. Until next time, peace.